This podcast episode contains sensitive content, including discussions relating to suicide, mental health, and abuse, topics that may be distressing or triggering for some listeners. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of self-harm or suicide, please seek help from a mental health professional. Text the crisis text line at 741-741 or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Thank you, New York. Today, we're reminded of the power of community and the power of coming together. Athletes, on your mark. The first woman to finish for the second straight year here in the New York City Marathon is Mickey Gorman, a smiling Mickey Gorman, and why not? 2.29.30, the time for Gritterbikes. Look at the emotion of Shalane Flanagan as she comes to the line. Pointing to his chest, pointing to the USA. He so proudly wears across his chest. A great day for Mel Kaplowski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Set the Pace, the official podcast of New York Roadrunners. Great to have you with us. I'm Rob Simulcair, the CEO of New York Roadrunners, joined as I am week in and week out by 2009 New York City Marathon champion Meb Kofleski. Meb, how are you? How's the first week of the new year treating you so far? I'm doing really well, Rob. It's just great to be started fresh, you know, making a new resolution and be able to thank, kind of give it a little bit of fact, what was 2023 uh, and then looking ahead for 2024. So it's awesome to be able to just start fresh. Absolutely. And Meb, we had a lot of folks out getting a jump start on their New Year's running resolutions at the Joe Kleinerman 10K this past weekend in Central Park. It was a great race. We got we got pretty lucky with the weather, Meb. There was a, a bit of a storm that came through New York, but it held off for us. We had good running conditions Saturday morning, and over 5,000 runners turned out for the 10K to honor Joe Kleinerman, who's really uh, one of the, the legends of New York Roadrunners. He's a a former U.S. Army Corps staff sergeant. He was a coach. He was a terrific runner himself, finished in the top 10 of the Boston Marathon a couple of times, and really was one of the founding members of New York Roadrunner. So an annual event, the Joe Kleinerman 10K. I ran at Meb, had a, had a great time running. I actually ran what I think is a PR for me in the 10K. I don't always know my times from when I was younger, but I was able to get under 43 minutes, which felt great. Um, and it was, uh, you know, boy, those, those races in Central Park are tough, Meb. It's just, the hills just don't stop. And th- this race starts at 102nd Street and goes straight north. So you get Harlem Hill done in like the first mile of the race. And that feels good. Like you feel like you've gotten it out of the way. But boy, th- there's always another hill coming in Central Park. So congrats to everybody who uh, finished the Joe K 10K. Congratulations, everybody, and congratulations to you, Rob. You know, when you're thinking I got close to PR or running a PR, it's amazing. And, you know, the 10K is fun, but it's a threshold. You know, you're going almost all out, but when you have the challenges of the hill in Central Park, it may, it, you're breathing pretty hard. And But the challenge is a challenge because you know that, you know, if you get to mile four or mile five, you got one more mile, you even push harder and get to that finish line. It's always exciting, especially for the first timers that they're doing that. So to be in New York and run a 10K in Central Park is always a thrill. And I met a couple of first time runners out there as well, actually, last Saturday. So it's great to see new people coming into the running sport. And uh, we hope to see everybody out there. Our next race will be in a couple of weeks. We've got the Fred LeBeau half marathon uh, in Central Park. So if you think running up Harlem Hill once isn't enough, you get to do it three times. 
I'm not sure about that one for myself, but for those who are signed up, we look forward to seeing them all there. Also, Meb, we had a, a drawing for the United Airlines NYC half. Congratulations to everybody who got in. And it was not easy this year. We had a ton of interest in the race this year. Applications were way up. And so for everybody who got in, congratulations. For those who are not lucky enough to get in through the drawing, good news, you can still run. There's a chance to run. Uh, there are charity slots available, including for our New York Roadrunners charity, Team for Kids. So you can run for Team for Kids. You can run for another charity. If you're interested in running for a charity, you can go to nyrr.org to check that out. Fred's team uh, is another one of the charities that uh, you can run for, but benefiting Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Care. I ran for them when I ran the marathon back in 2013. And actually, our, our member spotlight a guest coming up a little bit later in the show, Barbara Morrissey, uh, she ran for Fred's team as well uh, with the marathon that she just ran, her 30th New York City marathon. So we'll talk to her in a bit, but just check out nyr.org. Meb, uh, we're, we're getting into it now for folks who are starting to think about running that half. They wake up in, in the new year and they're like, okay, it's happening. It's on. I got to start getting ready. You know, it's hard to run, but it's even harder to get into races at the NYR events. But you have such <laughs> a great causes that you can be able to apply for foundation or charity to help you get there and get you out of the winter sometimes to put in the miles you need to go and looking forward to the you know, New York City Half Marathon. So it's going to be very exciting as the spring rolls in, you know, people are kind of putting the miles in. So having a race like that is very important. All right, Mab. Well, we talk a lot on this podcast about the benefits of running, not just being physical, but also for your mental health. What a difference it's made for so many people in feeling better about themselves, helping them break out of uh, whatever challenges they've been having. And one of the best people I've talked to in the year plus that I've been here at New York Roadrunners is Ginger Z. Ginger Z, uh, you might know her if you watch Good Morning America. Uh, she's a star there. She's the chief meteorologist for that show, does a phenomenal job on Good Morning America. But not only that, she's done such a great job talking about her own mental health journey and the role that running has played in helping her find her way. And so we're so thrilled to have Ginger Z join us here on Set the Pace. Ginger, it's great to have you here on the podcast. How are you doing? It is great to be here. I am so looking forward to this discussion. And if I can be seated and talking running, I feel like that's a really good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a win. That's definitely a win. Ginger, the last time I saw you was back in May. You were so kind to join an event we had in New York City called Open Run for an Open Mind, which was uh, an event to shine a light on running and mental health. And we'll talk about that and your mental health journey. But what you've been doing since then? I know you're, you're obviously busy on Good Morning America and all the other ABC platforms. And of course, we know you ran the ABC News Relay as well in the TCS New York City Marathon. I never thought I would have a chance to even run in a marathon, let alone to be a part of a team that is, you know, with my work family. And it was very special. I, I hope that we get to do it again someday because um, there is nothing like being on that course, as I've heard for years about what that feels like, but then to also do it for such a great reason and with all of you um, who are such superstars and then I'll obviously for ABC. So yes, I've been, I did that. I'm training for the half marathon in March, which will be my first ever anything race like that by myself. Wow. Uh, yes, very exciting. And um, yeah, we're really looking and ramping up for 
the all the climate stories in the spring. So winter and spring get real busy leading up to Earth Day. We do a ton and we've got kind of this big plan that we're already starting to put into place. So I feel like this, you know, the holiday time is nice, but then it just everything takes off. <laughs> well, so excited to hear you say you're going to run the half marathon in New York. But can you tell us a little bit, when did you start running? And how was that feeling now to, to run 13.1 miles? How was that feeling at the beginning? <laughs> I was thinking about when I started running in my life and I, you know, strangely, both my parents are extremely active people, but neither of them are runners. And so until they were divorced and then my father met my stepmom and she became a part of our world, she was a runner. And that's the first time I remember running being used as mostly for mental health, I'd say on her part, but obviously for physical health as well. And I would start, I, I started at maybe age even 11 or 12 jogging with her around our neighborhood. And then I fell in love with running. So I've always loved it, but I've never run a race because the majority of my work for the first decade of my job was all at weekends. Uh, I did a lot of weekend shows and so I never really could race. And then ever since joining GMA, I've traveled so much that I just thought I'm never going to be good enough to be able to dedicate the right amount of time to properly training and being careful. So this actually, it feels like this culmination. I was thinking about it while I was running the other day um, and really only in the second week of training for it. It feels like a culmination of something that I've I've wanted to do my whole life, and and now I'm getting to do it. So I'm getting emotional thinking about it, and um, thinking about my stepmom. I didn't think I was going to cry right here, um, but it feels like she would be around. She's passed since uh, that she would be proud that I can run for her. And I I I know that people tell me when they run races or when they run marathons, there's this like their incredible highs, but also emotional like depth. And I'm already feeling it. <laughs> so <laughs> you all are right. <laughs> oh, I mean, running is such a, a great metaphor for life. And it also kind of makes you appreciate it because sometimes you don't feel like doing it. But when somebody's no longer with us, you want to do one as good as twice because you want to honor them or in, yes. and your stepmom as you introduce you to running. So how often do you think of that about that? And when you know you've seen people's sad stories and things like that, it's like, you know what? I got this mentality. Do you appreciate that? Yes, very much so. I think I I often get into the, um, and I, you know, a lot of instructors and fitness instructors will say like, you don't have to, you get to. And I really feel like the last decade or so of my life, I have felt that in so many ways. You know, the the whole way your brain changes, not just with running, tons of parts of life that aren't always easy, that aren't always, it all applies to every layer. And it feels like in running, that is a motto that I can run with that I can't believe I get to be out here. I was doing yesterday the the hills workout. And that was the first time I was doing eight, you know, 200 meters straight up hill. And it, was, it wasn't easy. Um, but I had this man pass me and he was an older man and he was just walking down the hill and he was like, you go, you know, it was like this really exciting, um, the world is cheering for you and you're cheering for yourself. So I think running has that special magical connection to people. And um, I certainly have it from my stepmom. So I, I thought of her many times trying to, you know, get up that hill, not that fast, but I, <laughs> <laughs> but at least get up it again. It's beautiful. It's beautiful when you've got a gift like that that's passed down to you from someone in your family. Ginger, how are you 
training for the United Airlines New York City half. This is a big, big yeah. step forward for you. Are you training in a group? Are you are you on your own? Do you have a coach? What's your game plan? I have a coach. Um, this woman, Allie, has been helping me. She set up a whole plan on a Google sheet. Like It's very serious, which is good because I, I like organization and planning. My job and my life are not that organized, nor are they good for planning, but she allowed me to leave it kind of open and so that I can make sure to get, and probably the best, because I work out regularly anyway, but it's more about when to run and when not to run. So today is, and she said, the hardest part might be the rest days. And I think that that's probably going to be true. Um, even though after my Hills Day yesterday, I'm kind of looking forward to resting today. Um, so the, 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 the plan is all out on a Google Sheet. And uh, I'll t you guys tell me, but the long runs basically add one mile each week. And then there's kind of one setback run. I've never really run more than 10, I think. So this is actually the longest distance in a row that I will be training for, which is not that much more. And when I was in my 20s, I ran regularly seven, eight, nine, you know, like that was my route that I would do. So it's not that I haven't done this in life, but you know, that was 15, 20 years ago. So <laughs> Meb will tell you, Meb, that sounds like she's doing the right thing. I mean, what, once you get up to around 10, a long run of 10 or 11, you're kind of there for a half marathon, right? Absolutely, Rob. And Ginger, this is, uh, you know, the muscle memory is amazing. And you, since you've been there, it kind of helps you the confidence. Oh, I've been, I've done that before. I'm almost there. And obviously the race is more like a celebration. I said, I've done the work. Yeah. I'm going to celebrate. Now that you're running the United Airlines New York City Half Marathon for a charity program, Still I Run. Can you tell us more about it? Yes. So Still I Run is who's hooked me up with the coaches and with all that, you know, motivation to fundraise. Um, Still I Run, I've been in touch with for years because they've known I've always liked running and that I've always attributed the benefits to mental health first out of running. And they are a group that focuses on that, that, you know, that has either family members, friends have died by suicide, or perhaps people within the group have dealt with their mental health issues. And running has been that path or the tunnel out of darkness. And I think that the getting people involved in just taking a few steps in just jogging for a half mile that we all know what that can physically do to your body and then what the benefits can be mentally. So I thought, why not combine all of these things that I love so much, um, you know, in the legacy that was my stepmother, but also be able to do this and hopefully inspire so many other people. I've written books on mental health, but I didn't really focus so much on running. And I was trying to you know, I didn't really put enough gravity to how much running has helped me um, over the last 30 years of my life. Ginger, your, your story is very inspiring. You know, you're a public figure. You've done such amazing things as a meteorologist, and you've shown the willingness to come out and be really open about your mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. Let's walk through that for those who don't know you, haven't read sure. your books. When did you first really start to struggle with mental health challenges? You know, I think I remember being in my late teens was the first time I was feeling, you know, anything but that idyllic childhood, um, you know, beyond just like the stressors of high school or something. And, and what was happening and I didn't realize was that I was narcoleptic and did not know. And so it wasn't until I got out of, I was in my final year of college and I finally was diagnosed with narcolepsy 
And then for those who don't med- know, uh, ginger narcolepsy, yeah. yep, is a sleep disorder where you fall asleep in places that are not safe. Um, you can have all different levels of it, but uh, I didn't. I was getting an accident, car accidents while driving because I was falling asleep. Meanwhile, I'm running, you know, eight to fifth, eight to 10. That was when I was really running a lot, eight to 10 miles all the time. I was in such incredible shape. And then I thought, or back then, and I was teaching aerobics and doing all this stuff. And people thought that maybe I was having miniature heart attacks or like, cause I would be falling down in a cool down of a workout or we didn't know what was wrong with me. And then after those accidents and things, I finally went and one doctor said, well, why don't you get a sleep study? just in case. And within like one nap of the sleep study, they said, oh my gosh, you're narcoleptic. So then they gave me a medication. And this is where my mental health journey really begins is the medication, while it was incredibly helpful for uh, narcolepsy, uh, pretty much spun me into a world I had never been. And that was an, an altered, as many times drugs do, and they didn't know a ton about that one. And it was the first time where I had gone from feeling, you know, the regular lows and highs of life to feeling extreme lows and extreme highs. And so it took years and I've had, uh, I had within that time not dedicated the right amount of effort or consistency or, um, I, I hate to put it on just me, but it was, it is just, it was just me. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't being honest with myself or with others. And I had multiple suicide attempts and I had um, just a very dark few years with a lot of trauma that happened to come at the same time. Meanwhile, I always say if I wasn't running, I don't know where I would have been. I don't know what would have happened. And so in that process of my, my darkest, you know, five to 10 years, I finally, got the job at ABC. My career was always going great, which is so wild that it, you know, I was so fortunate to still have this upward trajectory. And I had gotten the job at ABC News, but I hadn't yet started. I had two weeks off between my job in Chicago and my job here. And I was in an abusive relationship. There were a lot of things that were going on. And I finally said to myself, I'm comfortable enough to go get some real help. And so I went and checked in to Columbia's psych ward and did inpatient therapy and then some really intensive outpatient therapy because it was the first time in my life and it was a lot to do with this job. I was like, I'm gonna get to work with Diane Sawyer. I'm gonna get to do these things. I can't be who I've been. I can't bring that young woman here. It's not gonna work and it's not sustainable. And I I was afraid of him and I was afraid of myself. And it was a really big moment of finally saying, I'm ready to get the help I need. Um, and then I did. And ever since then, it has been this beautiful ride. Of course, there's been lows. And of course, there's different things that you go through. But when you finally put mental health first, and and at least for me, when I attacked it, instead of letting it live in the background until it would you know, roar and, and take over my life, and then go back away and pretend it never happened. As soon as I started doing that, and especially after I wrote my books, I put it front and center. And there was this like responsibility on my end to always do and practice what I preach. And now it is always number one. I won't miss the personal trainer of my brain every week, my therapist. I won't miss the meditation that is the daily, you know, running for your brain. I won't miss those things that and I would I would rather miss any of the, the the physical workouts and things before I'll miss the mental because that has to be there to get you in place to be healthy in all the mm-hmm. other ways and mm-hmm. to be a, a great mother and a you know 
partner to my husband and all of that. So. Amazing. Amazing. And your, mm-hmm. your books, by the way, I, I just think are, are both, uh, I love the titles. I love the messaging behind Thank them. You. My favorite is natural disaster. I cover them. I am one, <laughs> which talks yep. about <laughs> your, your, your was, job and then, you know, some of the challenges you've had over the years. And yeah. uh, that uh, it, I love the, I don't know, just the ability to kind of take yourself a little bit less seriously talking about uh, what, what is a very serious topic. It was the easiest to write because it is so true. And I didn't have to think one second about it. And it's amazing what I've learned and actually also applies to running or training or doing anything that's physically difficult as well. I've learned so much from being in this unique position where I'm the first person that shows up before, during, and after these huge disasters. I mean, people are losing family members, they're losing their homes, their their lives, and this is one of the biggest traumas people go through. And I've had this really, again, it's unique and I'm, I'm grateful that I get the chance to be this person, but it's a weird job. Like you're the person that they see right away. And I've watched and studied how humans grieve and react to the trauma of natural disaster. And I think there's a lot we can all learn from it. I think there's a lot that they do right in in post-disaster, even though people don't know that they're, because they wouldn't even know. This is the first time their uh, tornado's ever taken their house most of the time. I did do a story where it was a woman's second time having oh, her, tor- her home be taken by a tornado. Wow. But here's what happens and what I think we can apply to life. After anything, doesn't matter if it's a wildfire, flash flood, tornado, hurricane, humans act the same. The first they go through this kind of zombie shock, then they go into, um, it depends kind of like a sadness or anger. And then they, but basically they go through the different layers of grief that you would grieve other parts of traumas or in your life from, but they do it really fast. And I think it has to do with it being nature. So it feels removed. And it's also because you can't not see it. You can't hide from it. You can't pretend it didn't happen. Your house is gone. The tornado took it. And then after the the visibility of it and the lack of shame that is associated with nature doing something, the second thing that happens so quickly, and you always hear the cliche is like, oh, and then the community came together. Because they really do. Because it wasn't just the one home taken by a tornado, it's the other home. And that neighbor is gonna say to them, well, what are you gonna do? What's your insurance? You immediately have community because you have to. Mm-hmm. And it is where people connect the most. And I think that's something that within a running community, within a, a mental health community, that those are notes that we could take and apply into allowing ourselves to grieve much more naturally and health healthfully. Well, I love the point there about the lack of shame, right? Because a natural mm-hmm. disaster happens to you, you bear no responsibility mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. And that really is what's so important about mental health is the fact that people like you are talking about it, right? That we're, yeah. we're having a podcast, we're talking about running and what running can do, but just talking about it is taking away some of that shame that has always existed around mental mm-hmm. health challenges, which has made it so hard, right? Because in the example of a natural disaster, you've got a community rallying around yes. you. When you're, started, when you're struggling with mental health issues, you feel alone, right? I think that's one mm-hmm. of the biggest challenges. You feel so alone. There's no one rallying around you. There's no one, maybe family if you're lucky or friends, but for so mm-hmm. many people, there's no one doing that. And so- Ginger, yeah. how has your parallel experience covering these disasters at scale 
helped you talk to people, including yourself, about these really sort of private disasters that people are having when yeah. it comes to their mental health? Well, we all have private disasters. We all have the tornadoes of life. And so I think the number one is that I'm always encouraging people to just say it out loud. Starts with you. Starts with you saying it out loud, writing it down. It's the cheapest form of therapy, right? And it, and it can happen right now, today. Write it down. And that is an ownership of trauma or, or who you are or whatever it is that you might be struggling with. And, and that is the part where it's like, that natural disaster is not the perfect analogy because you don't have to write it down that you lost your house. But once you get past that, it's telling other people, it's getting the right team in place to help you to, because we don't, we don't know how to do this as a society. As much as we're, I think the stigma of mental health has really shed in most places. Everybody's talking about it. For the most part, if you say depression or anxiety, everyone just goes on with their day, like you said, diabetes or heart disease, like it, they are fully accepted. And I don't think that the shame is there like it was, where I do think there's shame, and I think we need drastic change is in the action that is required to heal from these things. And with other things, um, my, my, there, my final, like after I went to the hospital, I got a real diagnosis, which I had, had never had before, of borderline personality disorder. Now, as soon as I say that, that's a little heavier than anxiety or depression. But anxiety and depression often come with many others. And, and those are just not the easy ones to say, because then people are like, ooh, what's, wait, what's wrong with her? And there's already, there is some sort of, so my point is that I think we need to allow all of those diagnoses to be okay to say, but more importantly, we need to know what to do for someone. Because if we see someone on the side of the road right now that has a broken ankle, we know what to do. We pick them up, we put them in our car, and we drive them to the hospital. When someone perhaps says, I'm having a really hard time, or I've had suicidal thoughts, or I don't know, I'm so low, I don't know what to do about it. A lot of times we're like, oh, man, you should really get some help. Like, nobody knows what to do. But I think if we can just be the person who picks them up, holds their hand, takes them to that first appointment, figures out which insurance part covers which therapist, they can't do that. Just like the person can't walk themselves to the hospital when they have broken ankle, the person who's in that mental health crisis can't do this. So we have to know how to do that. And that's where I think that stigma needs to be shed even more. And that's something we can learn from. Again, like you said, people show up when after a tornado, they have got it all, right? Like they've got all the help. One other thing that's important, and this is in both disaster and in mental health, is sometimes everybody shows up. But just like when you're grieving a loved one that passed away, all the help is there for about three weeks and then everybody goes away and everybody forgets. And that maintenance of healing is also a huge thing I think we can work on and actually work on also in hurricanes, tornadoes, because like all the help comes in and then they're like, good luck. I got to go to the next one. <laughs> so that's something we could do for all three. Ginger, thanks for sharing those amazing stories and anecdotes to help each other. How do you think would running play a big role, the running community, because mental health is such a high you know, d demand mm -hmm. now, but what would be your advice to the running organizations or running community uh, on what to do with the mental health? Well, community is the word. I think that that's the immediate thing that comes to me is that you already have a community that is set up. So opening up the dialogue of saying, we don't just run together. We talk about life together. 
you know, the connection that so few of us are able to have with other human beings is probably the thing that running allows for. When else are you going to have kind of hours long time to be able to to have a chat with somebody? Being able to do that. And it's so funny because my husband is such a music person, like when he drives and he's not a runner at all. When he drives, he's always listening to music. He's always got something in the background. I'm the person who's like, I want to go like forest bathe when I run and I don't want to have anything in my ear. Um, There's a beauty to that, but there's also a beauty to like, if you had a running buddy, right? Like if you have that person, there is nothing better than the walking buddy or the running buddy who you, it's a therapist built in. And so utilizing what we have in a community that's already created, like a running community, and then just saying, today's, let's talk about how we're feeling day. Like set it up, make it organized, make it say that is so huge because people will do that to a certain extent, but most of us aren't ready to share our deepest, darkest because we don't think the other person wants to hear. We don't think that they can, you know, or they can't empathize or our problems aren't as bad as theirs. Getting away from all of those comparisons and just allowing you to be you and say who you are and what you are and then share it with another, let alone four or five other people, I think that would be something that a, a running community could take and, and make kind of a regular thing. Thank you for sharing. I, you know, I, I have a good friend named Douglas, uh, Scott Douglas, who my co-author of the book, um, For Mortals. He has a book, it's called Running is a Therapy. The getting together at mm-hmm. one point, just to your point, what you just said, you know, sometimes we're like, I don't feel like going or I'm not going to go. But accountability yeah. with somebody meeting is just such a relief. You know, it's not about the miles, yeah. but the sharing of the stories or help that you can get. And, you know, running is just that. You know, it's unsubscribed prescription to go out and share yeah. your your time with somebody else. And what would be for your next the next generation? Because now with technology, people wouldn't want to go outside. They just want to be on their phone or Electric yeah. what would be your advice? And I know it's not it's painful. People think running is just pain, but it's not. It's actually a therapy. What would be for the next generation advice to our kids? Yeah, I think that's it's it's the mirroring your parents is one thing. Like I said, I'm so lucky that my parents got divorced and that I was able to be introduced to running because it was I wouldn't I don't think I would have found it. Why would I have? So being able to share those things with your kids. Right now, my kids can't run fast enough to run with me, but I have them bike next to me. So being able to say, this feels good, this looks good. During the summer, when the when the weather was great, we made a regular, almost like the way religion has church on Sundays, we made Sundays for riding bike and I would run down to the town close to us. And then we would make our, you know, have a little snack or a coffee and a muffin or whatever it was, and then coming back. Having that part of your embedded or threaded through your life is, I think, the greatest gift that we can give our children and anybody who's younger. Because hopefully, even if they do get involved, and so far we've been able to keep our kids away from screens because they're five and eight. So we're in a still a healthy place right now. But I know it's inevitable. And I don't want them to be the weird kids that never touched a video game. Like, forever. We're trying to keep it away as long as we can, but also instill all of those other things that make us happy and that hopefully will make them find that beauty in nature and physical activity in the future for their mental health. 
Ginger, I got my daughter into running. She's a freshman in high school. She ran cross country this fall. And so it was, you know, uh, it was just about a year ago, I really started taking her on runs and to see how that's turned into a big part of her life is amazing. I always say with these kids, because, you know, yeah, she's in high school now, so definitely on devices. And, but Mm -hmm. I say that there's two great things about running. You are running and you're not on a device. <laughs> like you, you, you might be yeah. listening to something, but you can't be staring <laughs> yeah. at the screen while you're running. So two good things are happening at once when a kid goes for a run. So I hope your kids follow in your footsteps steps the way that you're that you did into your stepmoms. You said it right. Is that I, I even look at it that time of, and I said you know forest bathing, but truly, so few of us can get away from screens during the day, and um, running gives you that break for your eyes alone, let alone your psyche and all the other stuff. But there is something to, you know, of course, if it's super cold, I'm I'm not lying. I'm going to be on the treadmill. Like I, <laughs> I'm not here for the like full donning of the outfit. I'm not, or maybe I will be this winter when I'm training. But as of right now, like th- these couple of days have been just the right amount of cold and I can put on an earmuff and I, you know, do my thing. But otherwise, aside from the days you need to be on a treadmill, I really think that that fresh air, it's like my grandma talking, but like being outdoors and having that connection to nature is beautiful. Ginger, I want to talk to you about your, your, what you do day to day, which is the weather, but in relation to running for a second. So you, you mentioned the, the New York City half coming up and that tends to be, you know, for, for folks who can at least handle some cold weather training and the day can often be cold. It's in late March. Sometimes mm-hmm. we'll get a warm one, but usually it's a, you know, chilly race. Um, and, you know, a lot of people run really well. We had a lot of PR set in March uh, last year because running in the cold can be really good. But the issue that we're having more and more now in the running industry, Ginger, is the heat, right? And we're seeing more mm-hmm. and more days that are just really difficult to run races. Um, we had yeah. a major marathon in Minneapolis, St. Paul this year, I'm sure you know about, that was canceled yep. because of 91 degree forecast temperatures in a place that it's not supposed to be 90 degrees in October. I know climate is a a focus of yours, Ginger, but where do you, where do you see this going when it comes to running? You know, what do you, what do you think the running community, the running industry should be thinking about when it comes to continuing to get people out there running and running long distances, but keeping them safe as these temperatures start to get warmer and warmer? Yeah, well, I thought that was a really good choice, obviously, in Minnesota this year. And coincidentally, I just was on Good Morning America talking about Minnesota's ice festival being canceled because they aren't cold enough. They will have record high temperatures on Christmas Eve. They're going to be into the 50s. Um, they have, they're have they a foot below average in snow. And the Great Lakes, the Northern Great Lakes Plains, and then into the Northeast are warming faster in the winter than any other part of our country. And so it doesn't surprise me that winter, you know, especially in winter, is the fastest warming. And that's not going to change running necessarily, except for potentially to make it more comfortable. But when you talk about heat and summer heat, you go along the Gulf Coast, you go to the West Coast, and that's where you're going to end up seeing the biggest jumps in temperatures. First part is how we have developed our country. We have put so much asphalt where wild grasses once were. We have physically changed the surface temperature and the surface moisture of our nation. Then 
you put the emissions. And we have amplified a year like this, and we're going into another El Nino or post El Nino year that should be even hotter. The globe had its hottest year on record 2023. It will probably be hotter in 2024. So I think preparing for the places that are already hot and then realizing that even northern latitudes like a Minneapolis or St. Paul, Minnesota, are going to also be warming. And sometimes the farther north you go, the faster you're warming. I'm sure you've heard Arctic warms three to four times faster than the rest of the, of the world um, because they had a lot more warming to do. And I would just say preparing for that and preparing for changing of dates, you know, of, of races. And I think that that's what will have to happen. The, the beauty of our science is that we've gotten so good with meteorology, our forecasting is just keeps getting better. And that means that climate science will keep getting better. The unfortunate reality is that we have to see some significant change in our uh, global use of fossil fuels and emissions to actually reduce the part that we are having. And that uh, doesn't seem to be happening as often. So as runners, I would just prepare for the rapid warming to continue. You know, how you said earlier, when you're reporting in uh, catastrophic moments like hurricane or tornado took the house, some people don't, you know, there's some skeptical people saying, I don't know if this is happening or not. What would be the, the things that they need to see in their daily life to say it is actually happening, global warming on those things? What would be like tangible? Well, I mean, just just the actual research and, and paleoclimatology that we have, you can just look at the actual numbers. You know, the temperature has at this moment, and here's what's the difference. Like people will say, yeah, but the climate has always changed. Of course it has. Our earth has been hotter than this at times, and it has been much colder than this at times. The difference is the reason we are warming so rapidly right now does not match any of those other times. None of the other variables are there. The part that is warming us so rapidly is our emissions currently. And so just that physical, but also how they're going to end up seeing it in their lives I actually think, you know, as much as we could have more moisture that sometimes rapidly intensifies hurricanes and makes them more damaging and those things, the strongest connection to a changing climate based on human activity is heat. And watching these heat waves give, for example, El Paso this year, Houston, New Orleans, um, New York, everybody's had number one hottest year on record. And that means the average temperature, both nights and, and days, um, warmest on record in the 150 years. And if you compare it to uh, paleoclimatology, in most cases, you can go back at least 120,000 years and sometimes even more. So it's, it's long that we've had these records around. Um, where you're going to notice the difference is how quickly the way that we live changes. So for example, um, SeaWorld was giving people money back this year because they weren't able to operate. It was too hot. You're going to start seeing things like in Maricopa County, Arizona, they had more deaths, more heat deaths um, than ever before by 30% compared to just last year. Like you're going to see considerable difference in how both, you know, heat disease and, and illness and then death happens, but also just that day to day. I was getting notes from this photographer wrote me from Florida and he said, I can't operate my business the same way because I can't do, you know, the May um, high school senior photos outside like I used to. You're going to see those types of things, I think, more on the regular, especially along the southern tier of the U.S. And so, Ginger, do you think, and you mentioned changing dates, I mean, do you think mm -hmm. marathons may, if we continue on this trend, essentially become a winter sport? I mean, you know, if, yeah. if it gets harder and harder to hold them in the spring and the fall? 
Yes, no question. Uh, I don't know enough about the marathon world, but how many are in the South anyway? Are there a decent number? I mean, Texas has them, Florida has them. So yeah, you you know you see them uh, pretty much all over the country. They tend to have theirs in you know say earlier in the spring or later in the fall, even maybe some currently in the winter months. But I mean, Ginger here in New York, right? We had in 2022 a day that was unseasonably warm, that was a really difficult day for folks to run, high in the mid to upper 70s with very high humidity, which made it a very tough day for folks to run. And yeah. even in 2023, the day you ran the relay, we had a, it was a nice day. It was a good day to run. Yeah. But there were points even in that day where when the sun was fully out and if you were in an area where there was no shade and you mentioned the asphalt, right, which, which holds the heat, it got a little warm for runners that day. And that was considered a pretty good day. Right. And I, that's the thing is you're going to have years that are still cool. You know, we might have the, a March 17th half marathon that's freezing. You know, you can still have that and we still will have snow. We still will have cold. But the number of those days is going to be limited and the average will continue to go up. And so the extremes in, anticipate more extremes in heat more often. And so I think that's if you, if I were race planning or or thinking about, yes, I would think that it would start to transition to more of the later and later, later fall, midwinter for a lot of latitudes, um, because that's just where we are now. And it's going that fast. And right now, I mean, we're just, just snow cover. If you look at snow cover, we are at 13% across the nation. It's the lowest since snow cover records have been around to date. It's, it's that the amount of cold air and pushes of cold air are, are limited, right? And so we, and we have those for a smaller and smaller window. You're shifting growing seasons for agriculture. And you're also going to be seeing, yes, a comfortable winter temperature where you're walking around and being like, wow, this feels pretty good. You know, and I, I, I always talk about maybe like eight years. No, because he's eight. Anyway, five years ago, let's say my son was interested. He was just starting to like be around enough that he wanted to try sledding or skiing for his birthday. And I know weather and I know climatology, but I called around to the Poconos and I don't know how, how, how often or how quickly they make snow. And it, his birthday's right around now. And I, they were all laughing at me. They said, oh, we haven't had snow pre-January since the 1970s. So no, we're not going to be open. And I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> but when you look at, and, and Climate Central is a group that puts together these awesome maps that you can really visualize. From 1970 until now, you can take a winter, uh, average winter temperature, and basically anywhere from Pennsylvania up to Maine, there's a, there's a segment of our nation that is five degrees warmer on a given day than it would have been. So five degrees is a big difference when it's an average, right? So there's going to be a lot of days that are 20, and then some others that are average or below. So. Yeah, that's a big change. All right, Ginger, this has been amazing. So I want to get you out of here on one question. Do you have a goal for your time at the United Airlines New York City half? Have you have you actually dared to to make a time goal for that race? It's so funny that you're asking that because I thought that might be part of why I haven't done a race too, is that I don't want to run slow. I don't run slow. I'm not a slow runner. So I but my body has changed so much since having kids. Um I I like running between eight and nine minutes, depending on how long I'm running for per mile. And so I would love it if I could run a 13 some miles of nine or less per mile. That's, I mean, that's kind of a goal, hopefully on the faster end. 
All right. I think it's doable. And uh, we wish you luck in your training. And we're just so excited to see you out there at the starting line in Brooklyn of the United Airlines New York City. It's hard for me to believe this is your first big race because I feel like you're such a big part of the running world. But we're just excited to have you and uh, can't wait to see you out there in March. Best of luck. I can't wait to jump in and be with you all. Thank you for what you do. I appreciate the attention to mental health. And um, yeah, happy running. Happy running. Happy running to you. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll see you soon. All right. See y'all. Thank you so much to Ginger Z of Good Morning America for joining us. As always, a great conversation with Ginger. And it's time now for this week's New York Roadrunners member moment. And our member this week is Barbara Morrissey. Barbara has been a New York Roadrunners member since 2013. And this past November, she completed her 30th New York City Marathon. Barbara, it's great to have you on Set the Pace. Thanks for being such a great member. I've enjoyed all those years. <laughs> so what was your first New York Roadrunners race? What first got you into running with us? Uh the marathon, nineteen eighty-nine. My son was a had just started college at Columbia and we lived upstate and I used to watch the marathon on TV and I thought, well, Tommy's down there. Why don't we try that? So what was that expectation for you to say, you know, seen it on TV, now your son's going to school there and to be able to partake of the five bros. What can you give us that feeling? Oh. There's no words. That was just, it was, it was crazy. Plus it was so interesting because he played baseball for Columbia. So he was in the baseball fraternity and that weekend they had all the school had off. So they asked us if we wanted to stay overnight in the fraternity before the marathon. So it was memorable all the way around. Barbara, you have run not just 30 New York City marathons, 59 marathons overall. Is it okay if I share your age? For those who are uh, curious, you're 76 years old and still going very, very strong. What keeps you coming back to run marathons? Well, I've been running for Fred's team. I've been running for Fred LeBeau since 1991 when he decided, you know, when he went through his cancer treatments and uh, supported Sloan Kettering. So I've been raising money and you know, I think that's the thing that makes me not want to quit. <laughs> Plus, I I belong to the streaker, so I have lifetime entry. So there's no way I'm going to miss <laughs> miss that opportunity. <laughs> the streakers so. are special, absolutely. And for those who don't know, guaranteed entry into every New York City marathon for those who have run 15 or more. And Barbara more than qualifies at 30. So it's yeah. a great group. Yeah, lots of fun. You know, marathon is about resilience, and I remember reading a little bit about you um, having uh, knee replacement done in uh, at age seventy three. What was that coming back from it? You know, it's uh, showing that hey, I have to do this, and I want to be able to come back stronger and still to run on about five five thirty six after the knee surgery. That it, it was amazing. You know, it, I, I needed it about 20 years ago, actually. But when they canceled the marathon in 2000, um, what was it for COVID 20? 2020, yep. 20, yeah. So I, and, and hospital for special surgeries where my husband had had his replacements done, just opened a place over in West Palm Beach from 
you know, a, a satellite from their New York City. So everything kind of fell in place. So I got my knee replacement in August. And after doing PT, I got a personal trainer just so I wouldn't mess it up because I knew I would. I'd want to get out and run right away. And my surgeon was very supportive of me. You said, if something happens, I didn't tell you to do it, but, you know, go try it. So, yeah, no, I couldn't I couldn't believe how great this has been. And having a personal trainer showing me the right things to do, you know, I, I never trained this well for the marathons, even when I was 40. <laughs> and for full disclosure, you know, it's the knee, re, knee re replacement was we had an accident before. It was not running related, right? No, actually, I, when I was like 31, I was cross-country skiing in our backyard kind of thing, and things didn't go well, and I wrecked my knee. I tore the ACL, the collateral ligaments, everything, but I just rehabbed it over the years and taped it together. So I've never run with an ACL, I don't think. Wow. So, so the, but this knee replacement is amazing. I, it's the best part of my body right now. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Um, what would you give advice to somebody who never ran a marathon? You've done 59 of them, you know, to get them say, hey, you know what? Don't wait too long. Or uh, My suggestion is always they should do one in their lifetime after that becomes optional. But for somebody that never ran a marathon, what would be your advice to them? Well, I, I really, it took me 78, it took me almost 10 years after beginning running to actually think I qualified to even consider running a marathon. So nowadays, people, that's some of the first long runs they do is a marathon. So it's just, I don't know, I, they don't wait anymore. They just get into the training and they do well. So uh, I don't think I could advise them. <laughs> but but I think it's, it's the best thing after doing a 5K and then with a marathon, you can run two or three minutes slower a mile and have a great time and a good, you know, do well. So, yeah, I, I love the long distance. So I always encourage people, you know, yeah, you can run a marathon. It's easier. <laughs> In a lot of ways it is. Yeah, it can be intense running those 5 and 10Ks. Barbara, I, I the last New York marathon I ran was in 2013 with Fred's team as well. So I've been through the oh. Fred's team experience and loved it. Can you talk about running for Fred's team to benefit Memorial Sloan Kettering and you know why you do what your what your connection really is to that organization? Well, I actually met Fred LeBeau at the 1991 Expo. And we were walking out and I saw this guy that looked like Fred LeBeau. And I said, Fred, he turned around, came back, grabbed my hand. And we walked and talked a little bit. And actually, I'm an, I was an oncology nurse and not only taking care of patients, but my, my immediate family. I've lost my brother and sister early to lung cancer, very early, like 40. They were 40, 50 years old. So, you know, I've been fighting cancer. <laughs> I'll do anything to help you know, support research and find a cure. So. All right. Well, Barbara, it's so nice talking to you. Thank you so much for being an amazing member and inspiration for so many of us. Congratulations <laughs> on your 30th New York City Marathon. And we can't wait to see you back for 31, we hope. Right, Meb? Absolutely. We'd love to see you again in uh, 2024. But I got one question for you before we head out. What was the condition that moving to Florida that you have to ask your husband by when you were living in New York and then moving to Florida? What was the condition? Yeah, Barbara, you told us 
that you said you'd move to Florida, but only if he'd bring you back for the marathon every November, right? Right. Definitely. Yeah. And he's kept to it. He's kept to it. He's kept. Oh, yes. He's kept to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're, my family fears when I can't run. <laughs> I'm a much nicer person when I'm a runner. <laughs> I know the feeling, and so does my family. So, yeah. We could all <laughs> relate on of... that. <laughs> yeah. The funniest part is my son's a stand-up comedian, so he, he uses, you know, how crazy his mom is. You know, the voices in her head get, keeps her going for 26 miles. <laughs> so, yeah. Barbara, thank you so much. Congrats on being our, our member spotlight, and it's great talking to you. Can't wait to see you back in New York. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. And it's time now for this week's Meb Minute. And Meb, we're talking about our winter race schedule, the Joe Kleinerman 10K, the Fred LeBeau half. Winter running can be hard for a lot of folks. You know, it's not for everybody. You got to bundle up, layer up. For me, the hardest part is getting out the door <laughs> just to run. Once I'm out there, I usually feel okay. But for you, you got to train all year, of course, at your level, even though you've lived in a lot of warm places. But what are the tips you can give folks to make their running effective during these cold winter months? You know, Rob, some people might think, what does Mev have advice by living in San Diego or in Florida about winter training? <laughs> but I lived in Mammoth Lakes for about 10 years full time. So I know the feeling of getting out the door is the hardest, but having a teammate or group helps because when you're meeting somebody, you have to get out by that door at a certain time. And like, as you said, you have to have the right gear, the hand warmers, arm sleeves, beanie. And as long as you have those, you're going to be comfortable. And I think also important is the stretching and the strengthening needs to be indoors. So you might want to be, have a membership to the gym or uh, where you can go and stretch. Don't be in the outside freezing, trying to do the drills or trying to do the strengthening there. Just be able to be, this is where you need to be smart instead of be tough because toughness is okay when you do the running, but you need to be smart about strengthening. Uh, kind of build a base mileage. The mileage is not as important in terms of intervals. You don't want to fall. You don't want to be headwind, things like that. You want to be able to just get the base running in and then eventually convert that base to spring to four races or I mean uh, spring races and be able to just strengthen the speed as you go on but very important be careful uh, about winter training when it's black ice be careful when the weather is coming so you have to be a little bit fle flexible look at the forecast and be flexible to be able to alternate hey today's going to be tomorrow's going to be my long run because there's a big storm coming up so you have to be able to have that flexibility and more importantly, enjoy it when you can because the spring is around the corner. And you talk about the gear and the layers, Meb. You got to get to know what you need because I find you know, when it's cold, like I, I put on a lot of layers. And once I get going, it's not long before I'm taking stuff off. You know, I mean, I'm taking off hats and wanting to remove layers because I tend to heat up pretty quickly. So you got to know, okay, what do I need to get out the door and not freeze? But then once I get moving, how much of this am I really going to need? It's finding that right balance with the gear. Absolutely. And I always wear long sleeve shirt and a t-shirt underneath. And you might want to have a zip on jacket so you can just zip, you know, three fourths down or, or zip it a whole way and then tie it around your waist. You know, I'll tell you a funny moment that happened. Dina Kasser, my good friend Dina Kasser and I were running in Mammoth Lakes at 7,000 feet. And she basically got too hot and she tossed it, the jacket 
and uh, unfortunately the jacket had the keys in there for the car <laughs> so be careful what you throw because those are the moments where you know um you know there's always runners have their hideaway keys and things like that but be planning ahead what kind of gear you're going to wear and you know what and what make sure you keep your keys to yourself because it's going to be kind of chilly if that happens with no car at the end of the run so i know new yorkers <laughs> and others probably didn't have to worry about when they take public transportation but for those that have cars in the winter places be careful I'm going to make fun of Dina next time I see her. I'm going to remember that story. That's a good one. All right, Meb, it's been a great episode. As always, we want to thank our guest, Ginger Z, our member, Barbara Morrissey, for joining us as well. Hope everybody out there has a great week of running. We will see you next week. This podcast contained sensitive content, including discussions relating to suicide, mental health, and abuse, topics that may be distressing or triggering for some listeners. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of self-harm or suicide, please seek help from a mental health professional, text the crisis text line at 741-741, or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988.